So again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers here. You know, for the last week I've been scouring the uh, pages of the internet for poetry and different dedications to mothers from all over the world. And uh, I have to tell you that when it came to choose one thing that I felt would encompass everything that a mother is, as well as simultaneously connecting with everybody that is here today, I found it to be quite difficult. I looked at the works of people like uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Emma Wilcox, or Ella Wilcox, I should say, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Philip Sidney, and so on, and none of them quite uh, could put or capture the essence of looking at a mother through the eyes of a child. And then I came across this one known author, and then he writes, My mother, she taught me logic. If you fall off that swing and break your neck, you're not coming to the store with me. <laughs> My mother taught me about medicine. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, you're going to be stuck that way. My mother taught me to think ahead. If you don't pass your spelling test, you're never going to get a good job. My mother taught me to think of others. Put on your sweater. Don't you know that I know when you're cold? My mother taught me to meet a challenge. What were you thinking? You know? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you dare talk back. My mother taught me about humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't you come running back to me. My mother taught me how to become an adult. She says, if you don't eat your vegetables, you're never going to grow up. My mother taught me about my roots. What, do you think you were born in a barn? My mother taught me about the wisdom of age. You know what? When you get to be my age, then you'll understand. My mother taught me about anticipation. You just wait till your father gets home. <laughs> and finally, my mother taught me about justice. One day you're going to have a kid and he's going to be just like you. <laughs> but with all sincerity, though, we do want to thank God for blessing us with all of you wonderful mothers that are here today. You know, the love and the care that you demonstrate every day, even with the little things, is kind of a, an example of our Lord's unconditional love towards His children. So let's bow in prayer before we start. Father, as we think of all the mothers that are here today, our prayer is that You would multiply to them the blessing that they have been to us, Lord. Your word says that a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. And we thank you for bringing these praiseworthy women into our lives. And Father, as we look into your word, our desire is that you would use it to grow and to stretch us into the people that you would have us to be. Amen. Here we go. So we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 22. If you don't have your Bible with you, I'm going to have the scriptures up on our screen. We're going to be starting from verse 1 in Matthew chapter 22. Chapter 2, 22 I should say, in verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. Verse 4, Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fallings are killed, 
and all things are ready. Come on to the marriage. No, I think it's safe to say that the Queen of England had sent out the invitation that the whole of England would have found a way to fit it into the calendar to show up at the wedding. You know, it would be done without hesitation. No excuses would have been given. The people in this parable here, they are rejecting the king's invitation and they live inside the kingdom. So they don't live halfway around the world. These were actually his people. And on several occasions, the king went out of his way to invite them even after they had rejected him after his first try or his first attempt. And it's not like they didn't know about the invitation. It's not like they didn't hear about the invitation. The point is that they weren't wanting to accept the invitation. And now as Jesus is telling this story, okay, this crowd have been disgusted by this unthankful attitude that the people in this story have displayed. Because in that culture, it was considered a huge insult to decline the invitation to a wedding. You know, it's one thing to not feel obliged to go to the marriage of your ninth cousin, twice removed, who happens to live on the other side of the planet, and by the way, you don't even know them. But this is the king. You know, when you receive an invitation from someone you know, uh, whether it's a friend or a relative in this culture here, uh, you know, it was considered common courtesy to attend. It's not something that you made an excuse to go to not go to. And if people would go to uh, every relative and every friend's uh, wedding because it was considered important to show your support to them, how much more would you be expected to come to the wedding that your king has put on? Besides, back then, weddings were scheduled in the evening. People could go about their, their stuff during the day. It didn't take time out of their calendar, and then they would just show up in the evening. The host would supply everything, food and drink, so you didn't have to bother about going home, or oh, I have to make some meal and then take off and go to the wedding. All you had to do was accept the invitation. Then dress up for the event and then show up. So as Jesus was speaking to the people here, they were very familiar with their wedding customs, just like we're very familiar with what our wedding customs are. Now, as Jesus is bringing them down this common kind of scenario, uh, all of a sudden he, he jars their mind and he shifts this parable into a very different direction. Now remember, these people have never heard this story as it's coming out of Jesus, the lips of Jesus. We've, we've heard it before, but we have to kind of look at it from the perspective as if we have not heard it before because this parable is familiar to us. So it's a good exercise to be just like them at this moment and as we are hearing this for the first time. So we're going down this, this storybook wedding story and Jesus makes this transition now. Verse 4. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. You know, in and of itself, this would have been an appalling uh, gesture. But then he makes this dramatic turn in verse 6. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. This was unthinkable. What kind of 
wicked does someone have to be in order to even consider doing such a horrible thing? What was supposed to be a joyous event was now the scene of multiple murder victims. And yet that shocking thought is what would have caused those that were listening to sit up and take note of what was being said. Have you ever driven down like a road that's way too familiar? You've driven it like a hundred times. And then you're just driving. And before you know it, you've been driving for like an hour and you're already at your destination. It's like, whoa, did I even notice the curb over there or the turn? Right? Your brain is on autopilot. On the other hand, I remember uh, last year we were told about this blueberry hiding spot that we're not supposed to share with people. And it felt like we were driving forever because it was this new dirt road for us. And after a while, I'm like, man, how long have we been driving? And I look down the clock, 10 minutes. Everything was new. So what happens is your brain goes into overdrive. So you're processing all this brand new information so your brain is woken up. And that's what is kind of going on here. They're traveling down this very familiar story. They're probably on autopilot when they're listening to it. And when all of a sudden Jesus puts their minds into overdrive by adding this powerful imagery. The shift of the story forces those that are hearing now to pay attention. And it forces their mind to go again from autopilot to overdrive. And the beauty of this is it doesn't have to be voluntary. You do that with kids. You're talking to them and they act like they're listening. (laughs) And then you just throw something in there that has nothing to do with what you're talking. All of a sudden they wake up their brain notices there was something very different about that story. So whether they want to listen or not, it didn't matter. They were going to hear it. And so this story now makes a point from its departure. It's like their brain's thinking, okay, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. What's going on here? They notice this is not just a wedding story. It is much more than just a wedding story. To the point, this parable speaks about the relationship between God and his chosen people, Israel. Furthermore, it's a prophecy of the things that are about to take place. Remember at the time of John the Baptist's incarceration, Jesus began to preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he continued to preach that the wedding is about to take place. And God the Father sends out his invitations but the people are not interested. And then he alludes, he alludes to this time on the horizon when the disciples as well would go out to Israel and tell them that, hey, Jesus is resurrected and he's the long-awaited Messiah that we've been waiting for. And they are going to spitefully use them and kill them. And the very people that have been called by God, the very people that claim to follow God, are not interested in entering into the gate because of their disdain for the king. It's been well said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And when Israel was rejecting Jesus at this point, it wasn't a new phenomenon. Time after time, Israel had walked away from God. They did it while Moses was spending personal time with him on Mount Sinai Israel was walking away from God. They did it before they went into captivity with Babylon. Israel had walked away from God. Time after time, they had repeated the same mistakes. 
And while she was turning away, she would also mistreat and kill the servants of God. They didn't like what was coming out of their mouths. Jeremiah even describes Israel as a harlot that would constantly leave God and go after other gods. And just like Hosea, God would always take her back. Verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burnt up their city. You know, around 40 years after Jesus ascended to heaven, Titus came and he desolated Jerusalem and Judea. Those that had a heart for God, those that were following God, okay, they heeded his prophetic warnings. What they did is they actually left when they saw the signs of the time coming. And they were safe. They fled for safety. Verse 8. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. So the king's people were either not interested or were vehemently opposed to him. So the servants, they hit the highway and then they go into the surrounding cities to gather as many as they could get. The gospel went from being given to the leadership of Israel and now it was going out to strangers. The invitation that was rejected by those leaders was now offered to the outcasts and to the Gentiles. And many were glad to accept it. You know, as we read the parable, I get the sense that Jesus is uh, depicting two uh, distinct scenes, but it's, it's one story. Ideally, the story would have been one scene, but because of man, there's now two scenes in the story. The backdrop is that of this dark and sinful city that's been ravaged by war and destroyed by fire due to their hate and murderous behavior towards the king. And in the midst of this chaos, you have this gloriously radiant palace for the king. And at the invitation of this king, now you have this procession of outsiders. And they come from afar and they are coming to celebrate this marriage that's about to take place. And they walk through the very streets where the people of the king had rejected his offer. And the road that leads to the gate of that kingdom is now illuminated by the guests carrying their lamps through the dark streets of that city. And as this procession is making its way down, Towards this narrow gate, the cheers would be coming from the lips of those that accepted the offer of the king. These were people that were never expecting in a million years to be offered a seat with the king. And this joyful noise now it makes its way through the city streets. And on the side of this difficult road that they're going down, standing among the rubble are those that for some trivial reason had on several occasions rejected that invitation that the king had offered them. The sounds of the procession now was clanging in their ears. The invitation that was delivered was delivered to Israel 
and most of it rejected it because they were comfortable in the religious self-proclamation system. They loved demonstrating what they perceived as their own goodness. They didn't want to believe that their righteousness was like a filthy, stenchy rag in the nostrils of God. And the same can be seen in our day. You know, some of the hardest people to speak to about Jesus are the people that are very religious. You know, they, they want to have something to do with their own worthiness. And it's heartbreaking because on one hand, they are some of the nicest people. They'll give you food and clothing when you need it. They do all sorts of good humanitarian works, but they won't accept the fact that their goodness is not going to help in getting them to heaven. They would rather get there by their own means so that they could take credit for where they end up. And unfortunately, if they continue in that way, they will be credited with where they end up. Verse 11. And when the king came to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. You know, traditionally during the uh, wedding procession, there would be many people in the streets. It was a blast. Everybody was having a wonderful time. And the people would make a lot of noise in their celebration. They'd be like, woo, 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 You know, you've probably seen that on TV, right? We kind of do something like that today. We have cars and we just honk our horns so we don't, like, vocalize it, right? So we take off from point A, go to point B, making a lot of noise, having fun. And as these people are going through the streets, uh, they would be going from uh, the, uh, the home of the parents of the bride, making their way all the way to the new home of the bride, which would be with the spouse. <clears throat> and all the while that they were going there, they were celebrating something that was about to come. That's what they were celebrating something that was about to take place. They were anticipating the marriage festivities. And because the guests cared for the newlyweds, they loved the newlyweds, they actually got prepared. They dressed for the occasion and they were ready to celebrate and they also celebrated with them. At the palace, the king was enjoying his invited guests as they were making their way into his home. But then he notices someone that was trying to come in that you know did not have their wedding clothes on. It's not as if this person didn't realize the wedding was taking place that day. It's not, uh, you know, to to forget the fact that these people were given this opportunity on many separate occasions to come to the wedding and they had rejected it. And now he was watching this wonderful procession go by with people celebrating and they were enjoying themselves. And he decides, you know what, even though I didn't accept the offer, he felt like he could just go in with those people. You know, maybe I didn't accept the offer, but hey, I deserve to go to this because I was asked originally. In fact, he was so ill prepared that he goes on with his regular work clothes, the clothes he wears every day. That's what he went to the wedding with. He hadn't made himself ready. Again, it's not that this person didn't have time to change out of their grubby clothes. It's that they refused the invitation. Again, the invitation was offered on multiple accounts. And they were not planning on attending. It was just a last minute uh, thing. 
And now of his own volition, he is trying to enter this marriage celebration while wearing his everyday clothes. So he stuck out like a sore thumb. You got everybody ready for a wedding and you got one person showing up in his grubby clothes. And when the king confronts him, he is left speechless. He could say nothing. His clothes was evidence of his heart. The Bible says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You know, how we enter into the presence of God is not by our own works. It's by the blood of the Lamb that has washed our garments white. God's standard for anyone that wants to come to heaven is the Ten Commandments. They must be perfect. See, I used to think of it as I had to try to attain the Ten Commandments. But no, the Ten Commandments are there to demonstrate that you can never attain the Ten Commandments. And that's what they're there for. They're there for um, to compare ourselves to them, to the righteousness of God. So we can see that we don't measure up to God's perfect standard. So it's not a question of trying to keep them. It's a question of trying to realize that no matter how hard I try, I cannot reach his standard. And that should concern us to the point where we call out to God and ask him uh, to save us since we can't save ourselves. And the king has no pleasure in sending people out to uh, darkness, into the outer darkness that he speaks of here. The Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Notice how he calls this person friend. That doesn't sound like somebody that's willing to throw him out. He calls him friend. Remember with Judas, Judas had betrayed Jesus and Jesus still called him friend. To the last possible moment, Judas comes and kisses him. He says, friend, what are you doing? He's always giving him that opportunity to turn and say, you know what? I'm wrong, forgive me. So even though this person had rejected the king, the king still loved them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Nevertheless, the only way into the marriage is through the redeeming blood of the Lamb. So one doesn't take away from the other. He loves you, but you still have to turn to Christ. And Israel still had to turn to God. There's no bypassing the blood at all. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Verse 13. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So if there's any doubt as to whether or not this parable was referring to an earthly wedding, this should help clarify. Because we don't take someone that's been crashing a wedding and throw them into outer darkness. We just simply ask them to leave the wedding. But this person here, they were cast into an area where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is about the sorrow and the pain of where he ends up. Hell is the abode of all that reject the free offer of God's grace. 
And as we're walking down this, this road to hell, God does goes out of his way on several occasions to try to grab us and get us out of there. His arm of salvation is there offering to grab us and pull us off this highway. And yet, we would rather just keep going down to the end result. Down our own way. Verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. So the king had extended now this invitation to everyone. But only those that had accepted the offer were chosen to enter into his palace. The Bible says that many will say that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we not do great and mighty works in your name? And he says, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. So in the end, this parable is about the king. You know, we have this storyline and we have uh, these different characters included in the story, but it's ultimately about the king. Because without the king, there's no kingdom. And without the king, there would be no preparations made. And without the king, there would be no marriage to celebrate. And without the king, there is no story to tell. And this story is primarily about the king. The king and his chosen people, Israel. And that invitation that was rejected went out to the world. That includes all of us. And because of that, we have the opportunity to call him Abba and Father. So we have to praise God because Jesus has invited everyone to come in. It's not just for the select few. Everyone has been given the offer. We have to choose as to whether or not we're going to accept the invitation. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. So if you're not 100% certain that heaven is your home when you die, you know I don't want to assume that everybody knows that heaven is their home. And if you're not 100% sure that heaven is your home when you die, then I want to uh, pray that uh, you would not leave this place today unless you know for sure that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is your Lord and He's your King. He's offering you this personal invitation, but you have to accept it. So let's pray before we, as we end here. Father, we want to thank you again for, uh, Lord providing us with everything we have, Lord, with multiple uh, times that you've come to us to, to gather us, to bring us into your fold, Father, and how often we have rejected your, your uh, invitation. Lord, we thank you that you were long-suffering, that you loved us so much that you continued to give us this invitation. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, also, again, we thank you for our dear mothers and how uh, they have demonstrated your love for us in an unconditional manner. And we praise you, Lord, and then we ask that you would apply this, uh, these thoughts and messages to our hearts for your glory. Amen.
Jesus said, All things have been committed to me by the, my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light.